0: Things are supposed to happen. Here we go. All right. If you have Bibles with you, we'll put up to John chapter eight. Uh, so I'm working my way through the Gospel of John. I think I'm some thirty messages into John's Gospel, and we're only up to chapter eight. So you know, you might just want to pitch a tent. Looks like we're going to be here for a while. You might want to build a house at this point. I don't know. <laughs> We're in the middle of John chapter 8 and yet another confrontation between Jesus and the religious rulers of his day. As I've read through and studied John's Gospel uh, this time, I've been a Christian 38 years now. matter of fact, July 1st was 38 years I gave my life to Christ. I don't know how many times I've read John's Gospel in those 38 years. I've never quite noticed before how prominent in John's telling of the story are the conflict and the ongoing confrontation between Jesus and the religious rulers of his day. John takes a lot of time. He takes a a huge section of his gospel to communicate um, this ongoing conflict. And so here we are in John chapter 8 and in the middle of yet another confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees. So we're going to pick up the story at verse 21. So please follow along as I read. Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he." you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I've been telling you from the beginning, Jesus replied. I have much more to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, But I speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. So Lord, we thank you for your word, for the truth that's in your word, for the power and authority that's in your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, And open our minds. We know that your word's good seed. May our hearts and minds be good soil. Your word could take deep root in us. And bear abundant fruit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in my last message a couple of weeks ago. On verses 12 to 20. There was a dispute between Jesus and the Pharisees. And it was concerning Jesus' testimony that he's the light of the world. Jesus is informing them plainly concerning who he is and why he's here, yet all the Jews want to do is argue about their religious rules and regulations uh, concerning the veracity of his testimony. We pick up in verse 21 in the middle of that confrontation. It's ongoing. Verse 21 begins, um, verse 21 says, Once more Jesus said to them, So, and, and the message says it this way, then he went over the same ground again. So we're in the middle of this, right? We're in the middle of this confrontation and this ongoing uh, dialogue, and Jesus is trying to restate his position. Like any good preacher, Jesus is restating his message in a new and different way with the hope that his hearers will gain some understanding. I could tell you I do this all the time. When I, I speak on a Sunday morning like this and I look out at, at the room, sometimes on your faces I see like these giant question marks and you're like, what is he talking about? And so when teachers, teachers know what that's like, right? When you're standing in front of a classroom. And so you just say the same thing again and you just keep saying the same thing in different ways until the light goes on. And that's kind of what's happening with Jesus right now. He just keeps telling them that he's their long-awaited Messiah and he's telling them in many and very different ways so that they'll finally get it. Well, that's what he's trying to do here. Verse 21, says, Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. Not only are there contrasting opinions here, but opposing directions. One direction is toward God, the other direction is away from God. You, know, you can't go east and west at the same time. You cannot go north and south at the same time. You cannot go into light and into darkness at the same time. You have to do one or the other. Jesus is going one way, and the Pharisees are going the other. I really like the way Eugene Peterson takes verse 21 and communicates it in the message. He says, then he went over the same ground again. I'm leaving And you're going to look for me, but you're missing God in this and are headed for a dead end. There's no way you can come with me. Jesus is plainly telling them he's going in one direction, they're going in another direction. They're missing God and they're headed in the wrong direction. matter of fact, the direction that they're heading in, Peterson interprets it this way. It's a dead end. The problem is they just didn't know it. And that's what happens with deception. The problem with deception is you don't know you're deceived. If you knew you're deceived, you would think differently. The Pharisees are deceived. They're obviously deceived. Jesus Christ is standing in front of them. Their long-awaited Messiah is standing in front of them. God Almighty in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, is standing plainly, as clear as day, right in front of them, and they're deceived. They can't see it. It's a religious spirit, and a religious spirit will blind us from the truth to the point where we call good evil and evil good. This is what they're doing to Jesus. Some of you have had it done to you. I've had it done to me. People operating in religious spirit will look at what you do in the name of God and call good evil and evil good. It's the problem of deception. It's a problem inherent to the operation of religious spirit. Let's move on to verse 22. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? Still, the Pharisees don't get it. Rather than question the accuracy of their position, they question Jesus' intent. Basically, they're asking, is he suicidal? This is another insult against Jesus. Just like the insult from verse 19 that we covered the last time I spoke. When they questioned the legitimacy of Jesus' birth by asking, where is your father? They thought they kind of they did a gotcha on him, that they had him trapped, and they were going to reveal some scandal about Jesus. Where is your father? There always been a question about that. So now they're asking, is he going to kill himself? It was a cheap shot. See, in Jewish, in Jewish teaching, the lowest levels of Hades were reserved for those who, who committed suicide. So here the Pharisees are trying to twist Jesus' words to imply that he will commit suicide and therefore, in their opinion, be damned. And obviously, they can't follow him if he's damned because they're not damned. They're right, and he's wrong. They're good, and he's evil. The nature of deception again. Verse 23, but he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are from this world, I'm not of this world. I like that verse 23 begins with these words, but he continued. I love how Jesus doesn't even address their comments concerning suicide. He doesn't, he doesn't give voice or attention to, to their insult or to the distraction or to the rabbit trail they want to go on. He stays right on point. He, he still continues to speak what's true. He still tries to communicate to them in a way that understanding will come. And here we see contrasting realities. It's not the first time we've seen this in John's Gospel. I've referred to this before. I think it's significant that that John goes back to this theme again and again. The contrasting realities between the physical realm and the spiritual realm, between the natural and the supernatural, between the earthly and the heavenly, the below and the above, of this world and not of this world. Jesus says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. I tell you what, core value for me, deep inside of my being, is that I am not content, I'm absolutely not content to live in intellectual and academic faith only. I've been there, I've done that, it's left me wanting. It's left me hungry. It's left me frustrated. It doesn't fuel my faith. It seems to fuel my doubts. I don't want to live below. I don't want to live only in the natural. I don't want to live purely in the physical. I don't want to live of this earth. I want to be like Jesus. I want, to, I want my mind to be set on things above. I want to be fixed on his realm. I want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to settle for anything else because I don't think we have to. And I think Jesus is making that point here. One of the great crimes of Christianity, of modern day Christianity, is that we've given up the high ground, literally. We've given up the heavenly for the earthly. We've given up the spiritual for the natural. And we're content to fight the good fight of faith on on earthly ground when we could be fighting it in heavenly ground. We're content to 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 argue with people, argue them into the kingdom. We're content to live in the realm of apologetics. So if I can talk you into the kingdom, you'll become a Christian. But here's the problem. I know a lot of smart people. Most of them are smarter than me. And if I can talk you into the kingdom, somebody smarter than me can talk you out of the kingdom. Isn't that a problem? That's what it's like to operate on the earthly realm. But on the spiritual realm, once you've been touched by God's spirit, once you've had an experience of his presence, I don't care how smart someone is. I don't care how sophisticated their apologetics or how um, convincing their argument. They will never take away from you the fact that you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that you've been touched by his presence, that you've encountered him in a personal way that can never be robbed from you. Why would we give up the high ground? Why would we be satisfied to operate on an earthly level when we can operate on a heavenly level? Why would we play in the playground of the scribes and Pharisees when Jesus invites us to play in his playground? Why would we do that? There's a better way. I I don't want to do it that way anymore. I don't want to live in intellectual and academic faith only. I want to live a supernatural life in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to do it because I can. I want to do it because Jesus made it possible for me. I want to do it because the Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives within me. That makes the impossible possible. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Paul says it well. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I like that. You know that old saying that says, Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? That's crap. That's a whole lot of crap. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I think we are no earthly good until we are heavenly minded. Why? Because that's what Paul says. In Colossians 3, 1-3, set your mind, fix your mind, completely on things above and not on earthly things. He doesn't say set your heart and mind on things above first or primarily or instead of. He's saying to do it, to let it be fixed there. That's what the word set means. Anybody ever set a fence post? Anybody here ever dig a hole to set a fence post? You dig a hole, right? You dig a deep hole. You usually put some stuff in there, maybe even cement. And you put the... When you put the pole in, that thing is set. The intent is that it's going to be there for a long time. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Things above, not on earthly things. Doesn't that apply to the exact statement that Jesus is making to the Pharisees here in John chapter 8? I think it does. In light of what Jesus said, in light of what Paul writes to the Colossians, where would you like your heart and mind to be, above or below? I want mine above. The Pharisees set their hearts on things on, minds on things below. I don't want to be like them. I'd rather be like Jesus. Jesus says in John 8 that he's from above. I want to be from above. That he's not of this world. I don't want to be of this world. He states plainly that the Pharisees are from below and of this world. I don't want to be aligned with the Pharisees the Pharisees have a contract a con- contrasting perspective from Jesus and as a result they completely missed that God what God was doing right in front of them because they were of the earth because their mind was on things below they missed God they missed him so completely when he couldn't be any more obvious i can't imagine for one second why we as followers of Jesus, we want to align ourselves with a position of having our minds set below instead of above, or being of this world when we're clearly called not to be. Verse 24, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Okay, there's two things to take note of here in verse 24. The first is that the word believe here is from the Greek root word pistis, meaning trust. We've covered this many times in John's Gospel. Pistis is more. When the Greek word pistis is used or a variant of that word is used, it means vastly more than intellectual assent or doctrinal agreement. It means more than agreeing with the particular church's tenets of faith or statement of belief. You see, pistis is a relational term. It's most closely aligned uh, with today's understanding of language if we use the word trust. Trust, inherent in its meaning, is relationship. I I can agree intellectually on a statement of faith. I can align myself doctrinally and not trust anybody, right? But that's not the kind of faith Jesus is talking about here. He's he's talking about a trusting faith, a relational faith. I put my trust in you because I know you, because we have relationship together. We've experienced things together. I know your heart. You know my heart. There's trust between us. That's what it means in John chapter 8 when it uses the word believe. So anytime you see belief or believe or faith, think trust. Trust. I think it has a better understanding in our common language today, a fuller meaning of the word. The second thing to take note of is the word he. In verse 24, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. The second thing to take note of in this word is that the word he, here, has been added by the translators. It's not in the original text. One of the better, one of the more, maybe better is not the right term, a more accurate translation of Scripture is Jung's little tr- literal translation. It says this, and it will be up on the screen. I said, therefore, to you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye may not believe that I am, ye shall die in your sins. The word he is left out. And that's significant. When Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. It has a different impact to the Hebrew mind than when we listen to it in, in the English and says, "If you do not believe that I am He." To the Hebrew mind, this is an obvious nod to Exodus three fourteen, when God identifies Himself to Moses at the burning bush as I am, who I am. Moses asked, "Who shall I send? Say, send me." And this is how God identifies himself. I am who I am. The title I am is a clear claim to deity and commonly understood in the Hebrew mind. Just like Jesus said, I am the light of the world in John eight twelve, He is saying to them here in verse 24 that he is the great I am. The I am who I am that met Moses at the burning bush. Jesus makes it very simple for the Pharisees in verse 24. I would paraphrase that verse this way. Trust that I am who I am and live. Do not trust that I am who I am and die. It's the same standard for us today as it was for them. Put your trust in in the God, the great I am, the only God. Put your trust in Him and live. Do not put your trust in Him and die, verses 25 to 30. Still blinded and confused by deceptions, the Pharisees ask in verse 25, they're still not getting it, who are you, they ask, and it's like, I don't know, I would want to grab him by the shirt and just say, just wake up, come on, could I make it any simpler for you guys, I'm not Jesus, can you tell? (laughs) This question of the Pharisees comes from a combination of their willful confusion and their other contempt for Jesus. Though Jesus has told them over and over who he is, they're not interested. They're just going to keep asking questions until they they get an answer from him that they think they can use to condemn him. Have you ever been in a debate with somebody and the truth isn't really the issue, they just want to win? And so they just keep coming back at you different ways until you slip up and give them the kind of answer they can use to beat you over the head with it, right? Apologetics, some people call that evangelism. I don't like either one of them, That's what they're doing to Jesus here. They just want to trip him up. They refuse to hear. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have eyes, but they cannot see the God that stands right before them. And still, I love Jesus. He doesn't get caught up in their shenanigans. He just continues to try and clarify. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning is what Jesus answers. Jesus replies, I have much more to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I will tell the world. Verse 27 tells us that the Pharisees are still confused. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. And Jesus explains further. So Jesus said, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. Jesus is trying very hard to connect the dots for them, that he and the Father are one, that the Father they believe in is one with the Son who stands before them. And the lifting up that Jesus refers to, he's not saying that you're going to lift me up as your leader, that you're even going to lift me up as your Messiah. He's not even saying that the lifting up is going to be when the light finally goes on and you see the truth. What he's referring to, we can understand now, is the lifting up onto a cross. When the Son of Man is lifted up and crucified, is what the lifting up refers to, then their eyes will be opened. When Jesus is crucified, they'll see the perfect obedience of the Son to the Father. Verse 29 says, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. The unity between the Father and the Son continues, and it will continue, despite the accusations of the Pharisees. Jesus is as close to his Father as ever. And even though the Pharisees are blinded by religion. Scripture tells us that many others who are witnessing this exchange between them, they do understand. And they do believe. Verse 30 says, even as he spoke, many believed in him. Many trusted in him. Could you imagine the contrast that's going on? Could you imagine witnessing this? Here you have Jesus. He's oozing love, right? He's kind. He's gracious. He's merciful. He's continually to try and help them understand, revealing truth to them. And here you have angry, religious, argumentative, contemptible, spiritually blind people going at each other. Who would you want to follow? Who would you trust? The choice has got to be easy. Jesus' message of his unity with the Father was well received by many that day. Oh, that it would be well received by many in this day. So, what's our Monday morning takeaway? What can we learn from this portion of John chapter 8? Well, one of them is this, that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They're higher than our ways. They're higher than our thoughts. He thinks differently than we think. He sees people and circumstances and situations much differently than we see them, and that just like the Pharisees could be blinded by a religious spirit, just like they could be deceived, humility demands that we could, we'd have to admit that we're just as vulnerable. I know that's been true of me. I've been a Christian for 38 years. I see things differently today than I did 38 years ago. Right? We hope that that's the case. We grow, we mature. I'm hoping that a decade or two from now, I'll see clearer still than I have this far on the journey. I wouldn't have called myself deceived back then, but 38 years later, I think I was deceived about some things back then. I had more zeal than wisdom. I had lots of passion and very little experience. I thought I was right when I walk into a room and use what I call the shotgun method of evangelism. You know what that is? To this day, some of my family members cringe when I walk in because I used to come in and boom, just quote scripture verses, boom, and everybody in the room until they would just go running for cover. Thought I was right. Thought I was so right. And the scars last to this day. I see things differently than I did then. Of course I could be deceived. Of course I I could be wrong. I think humility takes us a long way on the journey of being able to see the truth. Because we could tell on Monday morning takeaway, there were those who had Jesus standing right in front of them, telling them plainly who he was, and they could not see it. When I think of that, I'm thinking there's a little bit of Pharisee in me. And then I can miss it too. So it just, it just demands. Humility demands. Love demands. That I stay teachable. That I stay open. That I stay unoffendable. That I be willing to learn new things. And be willing to throw away the things that I thought were so settled in my mind. When truth and clarity come. What's our Monday morning takeaway? God's ways and thoughts are not our ways and thoughts. So let's yield our ways and thoughts to his ways and thoughts. Why hold on to what's wrong just because you held on to it so long thinking it was right? Maybe it's just time to let it go. Let's let it go even if it contradicts our religious upbringing because that's the problem the Pharisees had. They'd invested so much of their lives, so much of their history into one way of believing that even when God himself stood in front of them, they couldn't let it go. Man, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be numbered among them. Scripture says Jesus makes it clear that he's from above and not of this world. Let our lives be one with his. Let's set our hearts and minds on things above and not on on the world below. And like I said, let's be humble. If they miss God, we can miss God. Pride and self-righteousness and religious arrogance, they're not our friends. They lead us into deception, and they keep us trapped there. Humility and a teachable spirit, these are a path to freedom. So let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for us. That we could be more like Jesus. Father, make us more like your Son. That we would not be of this world. And that we would be from above like he's from above. That we would do what Paul exhorts us to do in your word. To set our hearts and minds on things above and not on earthly things. Give us the grace we need to do it. I don't know that we have the strength in and of ourselves to to make that possible. So give us the grace we need. Make us to be more like you. And Lord, I pray that you would show up in our lives like like you did in Scripture. Be plain and be clear before us. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us with the clarity that you spoke to the Pharisees that day. Give us eyes that will see you when you're there, ears that will hear you when you speak. Have mercy on us, O God. Now, during the service at one point, I had a sense that there's some people here today, and, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but I just had a feeling... That there are some people here today, it's like you've been in a spiritual drought. Like you feel like spiritually your ground is dry. It's just been dry for a long time. And, and I want you to know, this is the picture that I've seen, that the rain is coming. I want you to know that the rain is coming. It was like I was looking in a dark room and a spotlight came down from above. And in, and in this beautiful glowing blue spotlight, there was rain coming. And I just want to encourage you. The rain is coming. The rain of his spirit is coming. It's going to rain down upon you. And it's going to, it's going to feed the dry soil of your heart and of your soul. It's going to bring life to your spirit. God's going to reveal himself to, to you in new ways. And Lord, though the words fail to accurately describe the picture, would you do what you showed me you were going to do? I pray for all of my friends here, for all of us. Lord, let your rain come. Let the rain of your spirit come. And I pray especially for those here today who feel like they are stuck in an extended spiritual drought. For them especially, Lord. Let the rain come. Let it come even now. Let it come this very day. Pour out your spirit upon them. And Lord, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, We love you guys. Enjoy the rest of this beautiful day. And uh, hopefully I'll see you over the weekend. At the uh On Not conference in Summerside.